Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I often like to do, I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming up. First up uh, for our inbox later on, we have a listener who's wondering if there's a biblical basis for adopting as a single person. I know a lot of you have wondered about that, and so we have got, fortunately, our Dr. Sharon Ford here. She's director of foster care and adoption for Focus on the Family, and she's going to offer some insights on that. And then for our culture segment, Dr. Stephanie Shackelford is a senior fellow at the Barna Group, and she has done some great research on discovering your calling and what it means to really order your future and your career and figure that out. You know, everyone's like, what's God's will for that? Well, she's done a ton of research on it. And that coupled with experience is going to be a great conversation with her. So tune in. Well, here we are for our round table. And uh, we thought, you know, it's always good to kind of take stock in a new year and figure out what's up, where are we, how are we feeling, how are we plugged in or not plugged in. And so we're going to do that today with a discussion on church, specifically church post-COVID. And you know, if you listened in last year, uh, we talked to a group of pastors, um, who actually both in 2020 and and 2021, uh, talking through some of the, you know, from their perspective, what church looks like, what can young adults specifically do uh, to encourage pastors and staff to be involved in church. And so now we're going to bring some young adults in to talk about just experiencing church post-COVID, because if you're that person that is still sitting at home, okay, (laughs) We have a few words for you. Not those of you that need to be home for health concerns and all that. That's legit. Um, But those who are just like, you know what? I am so used to sitting in my PJs and drinking my coffee and taking in this show, otherwise known as the sermon. So you already know my opinions on that. So we're (laughs) going to go forward. And fortunately, we have got Emerson, Georgia, and Elisa here. Hey, y'all. Good to have you. Okay, awesome. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about church. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, has anything changed for you guys? I mean, maybe you've had a move, maybe you've had something that just would have happened anyway, but what did church look like for you as far as your attendance, your involvement before 2020, and then now where you are right now and what has changed or what hasn't changed? Oh, all right. Uh, I guess I can go first. This is Emerson, and um, I want to say it hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, Praise the Lord. It changed for a little bit there when COVID was kind of ramping up. I think a lot of churches went remote for a little while and you yeah. you would you would watch it on like whatever streaming site that your church did it on. Um, but shortly after that, um, I think my elders were feeling a bit um, convicted about our, our lack of fellowship that was happening and um, how the scripture does tell us to meet. And so um, we began meeting um, and as, as COVID started to die down, we have gone back to meeting in person, and that has been great, just having fellowship once again and enjoying life groups and discipleship uh, once more. That's so, great. Yeah. And about how big is your church? Would it's you a say? very small church plant. Okay. And so it's about, I want to say, 100 to maybe 120 people Okay. Um, on, on any given Sunday. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's kind of one of those places where if you don't show up, people notice. Yeah. You know, so that yep. kind of is some built-in accountability, which is kind of nice. Yeah, so definitely. That's a good thing to consider. All right, Georgia, how about you? Yeah, so... Um, as Lisa said, my name is Georgia, and I actually recently moved to the Springs. And so that in and of itself has been kind of a journey. But I would say right when COVID started, um, I actually really dug into church more because I think that was a time where everybody was stuck at home. And so Mm -hmm. it was really difficult. And so even though my church, who we were a church body of about 500, so kind Mm -hmm. of a bigger church, um, and even though we didn't meet in person for those first few months, um, I really tried to dig in and and we met through Zoom with all of our life groups. And so we really utilized that time um, just because we knew how important it was to continue meeting with community, especially during a time where everybody was so confused, nobody knew what was going on. Um, So I would say that COVID time really taught me to dig into community. Um, even if it looked a little different than what I was used to. Okay. So you're saying you were even able to do community even if you had to be remote or mm-hmm. you had to find creative ways basically yeah, of yeah, doing that. Yeah. Okay. And so that's kind of how we did that. And it was it was nice. I mean, okay. we would do crafts over Zoom and it was just like, <laughs> okay, we're not doing it together, but we're all doing our individual craft and we're all talking. And, and that was just kind of what we did to get creative um, in order to keep seeing each other, keep checking in on each other and keep being accountable. Okay. Nice. All right. Elisa? Yeah. Um, 
some similarities with um, both Emerson and um, Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> um, yeah, our church, I guess we weren't meeting or we were meeting remotely for a few months um, toward the beginning of COVID. And I don't know that my involvement in church changed much between pre-COVID, post-COVID. Just um, I've always enjoyed and tried to be involved. And during kind of the beginning, we were meeting remotely. I was actually living at my brother and sister-in-law's house just because it was fun to be together when we couldn't really go anywhere. (laughs) So um, during my life group gatherings, I'd have my one-year-old niece on my lap. And (laughs) I think everyone liked that. Um, But yeah, just stayed pretty connected throughout okay that time so would you all say you're all back in person now and it really functionally doesn't seem much different to you than pre-covid as far as you showing up you being involved in like are you in small groups in person are you in like community groups or sunday school classes or whatever they call them Mm -hmm. okay yeah Yeah. i would say we're back in person okay yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that's like for some people i mean maybe depending on where their experience is that could be considered atypical maybe for a lot of young adults who uh, but again being intentional about it is is pretty big i know for me um our church was like you said remote initially and there were a lot of pain points because mm-hmm. I think pretty quickly our church, and, and I want to kind of ask you guys about this, what you saw. Um, I've noticed that for me coming back, um, it's much easier because our church has continued streaming for those who are, you know, we have a lot of elderly in our con- congregation. So for those who are COVID averse yeah. or whatever, just the, now because we, during COVID, they beefed up our technology at church. So they're like, oh, good, we have options for people. Yeah. It's very easy on any given Sunday to be like, okay, well, you know, am I am I feeling a little fatigued? Maybe I should just watch church. <laughs> so it is a constant self-checking because it is so convenient and so accepted to just clock in online and stuff. So that's been weird. What would you guys say have been some of the pain points that you've seen during COVID? Like what were some of the adjustments that had to be made? What were some of the things that you saw kind of crop up in your congregation as far as things that had to be discussed? And then is there anything now that has changed that y'all are still wrestling through and trying to return to normalcy? Because even though you're back, probably not everyone is, and you've noticed people missing or people have changed churches or whatever. What personally have you noticed? Yeah, I would say... So I came from Norman, um, which is a college town. And so we had a lot of college. uh So Norman, Oklahoma. And so we had a lot of college students um, in our congregation. And so um, I would say a couple of the pain points were that at the very beginning, we had a lot of drawback from the college students. And so they just took this opportunity to say, I guess I just need to not go anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was kind of difficult. Um, And then also I noticed as a leader, I led um, a group of seventh grade girls and um, just some girls just stopped coming at some point and eventually I would find out oh they switched churches or now they're homeschooled and they're not going anywhere outside of their home and so um, I think that was kind of hard I think realizing that people didn't want to come anymore or didn't feel safe coming anymore or didn't agree with um, different rules or regulations that had been put in place for our congregation and so I think that was kind of difficult because you love your church family and you want to keep seeing them and so um, it's hard to see like them stop coming and then when you check in on them just eventually be like oh oh okay they don't want to come and that's okay well yeah. we can keep praying but we can't force them to be like no come on you know <laughs> right um so i think that was kind of a pain point at my my home church um and that was something that i saw throughout that time period and and still even now there were some students that um just decided that that wasn't the church for them anymore and mm-hmm. we just they switched over because they didn't agree with certain things so okay I think for me, um, one of the biggest pain points or areas of frustration uh, with COVID was the the division that I think crept into the church under mm-hmm. the veil of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had many members and spoken with many members of churches that have left their churches because their churches had a certain view or didn't take a view that they agreed on with handling the mm-hmm. virus or handling uh, their approach to it or yeah. – their political stance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but and you're that, talking about like mask mandates, yes, whether yes, to be vaxxed, whether, but yeah, all the precisely. stuff that kind of rose up as debatable items. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I've had, I've heard of, of members leaving their churches for those reasons 
And I don't think those are good reasons to leave uh, your local body that you're that you're serving, that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the beauty of the gospel is we're, we're united under one banner that is Jesus Christ. And so, um, and what that does is that brings people from different thought processes together in unity with one another. Um, like, yeah, it'll bring Republicans and Democrats together. It'll bring pro-mandate, anti-mandate people together under the unity of the gospel. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of the biggest pain point for me was seeing people leave mm. because we didn't take their stance. It wasn't even that like my church um, had a, a bold stance one side or the other, but it was that we didn't take their stance on mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. issue. And yeah. so um, that was probably the biggest pain point for me in my church with COVID. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I even saw it in terms of, you know, I mentioned our church beefing up technology. Well, in because we ended up, you know, live streaming services, we definitely revamped the way we did worship because mm. we used to have a traditional service and then a more blended service. Well, we kind of went to just blending. Well, then you're never going to satisfy everyone because mm. then some people are like, we need more instruments or we need less <laughs> contemporary songs we need more hymn and everyone's gonna have their opinion and it's never gonna or the technology you know like why aren't they moving the the slides along faster you know and you're just like people are learning stuff and it can't yep. you know unless we all think that you know younger generations are super flexible i think a lot of, <laughs> a lot of millennials and gen zers were frustrated too and had their own opinions of like how this should look or what should we be doing differently and why are or yelling at all the old people about like why are all these old people mad about this and stuff and then everyone gets judgy and so it's weird how it that little bit of tension or that little bit of need for people having grace brings out some crazy you know in all of us (laughs) and we all want things our way and we all want our expectations met and yeah, it's a big deal. So mm-hmm. I don't know, Elisa, anything else? Yeah. Um, I noticed, at least for my, my life groups, we were really excited when we were able to meet in person again. We really missed that, even though we were still staying connected virtually. It just isn't quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people, even now, um, a couple weeks ago, I ran into a lady at church. Um, we weren't in the same life group. We often weren't even in the same service, but we, we would greet each other when we'd see each other at church and um she's just been coming back and her husband died um this past year and just um she just needed someone to talk to and just getting connected with her again like um yeah missed some of those connections that happen for me more um when our church is meeting as a whole because Mm -hmm. there are only so many people in in life group and yeah very true so what elisa you kind of started answering this question but i'd like to throw it out to the table what would you say um for you personally what is the benefit of going to church in person because i think a lot of people think that it's just interchangeable now like well if i can just catch the sermon or you know get you know get in on worship time whatever remotely and i don't have to drive to church i don't have to like dress up i don't have to do whatever but what would you say for you are the big benefits of being there in person to worship corporately with folks? That is a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think church is meant to be a community, right? So too often I think we view our own walk with Jesus as like a, a personal thing, and it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it is also doing it with others, right? To be discipled by others, to be mentored, to be rebuked when we need to be rebuked on something or called out. Mm-hmm. Um, part of growing in our relationship with God is also growing in our relationship with others. They aren't disconnected from mm-hmm. one another. God has blessed us with other people to walk with and to be to build up and to be built up by. Um, and when you're apart from that, I notice when I'm apart from that, um, and I'm not going to church and meeting with these people and interacting with them and having fellowship with them or breaking bread, as Scripture says, right? Um, that that aspect of my my walk with the Lord is missing. Yeah. Um, and it is a it is a whole. Um, whether you acknowledge it or not, when you're alone at home, right? Just trying to. I just it's just for me, right? Yeah. I think it's very selfish to think it's just for you too. You can pour into other people as well just yeah. by going to church. 
Yeah, it's funny. I always say to people, and I've said this on the show many times, that I'm like super godly when I'm just by myself because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have conflict. I agree <laughs> with me. I feel like, oh, we're on the right track, you know. But then you introduce other people, and I'm like, crazy. Okay, you know, whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. as Paul Tripp says, my wants, my needs, my feelings. And that's yeah. where we get to be about, you know, me, me, me. And it, it really is a great. Um, crucible to test our faith and to evidence love and show love to others when we're in community. And uh, my former pastor always said, you know, if you're not in conflict with someone in your church, you're not plugged in enough to your church. (laughs) (laughs) If you can just sail through and stuff, yeah, you need to dig in a little more. So yeah, other thoughts? Yeah, I would say too, like, obviously we know community is a huge deal, but also for me, accountability, just of Mm -hmm. when I'm at home and I had watched, you know, online services, I'm doing dishes (laughs) or I'm folding laundry Mm -hmm. or I'm checking my phone. Whereas if I'm in a service where we're communally listening to a sermon, we're listening to the word of God, we're standing up and and praising the Lord and doing worship. That's something we do together. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be like looking on my phone or (laughs) scrolling through texts or anything like that. I'm going to be focusing. And so I think that for me was a big thing is Mm -hmm. that I tend to not focus when I'm at my house. I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I tend to not sing out loud by myself. (laughs) I'm just like, this is so good. But I'm not singing the words because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to sing in my house alone, you know, which is silly. Um, So I think for me, that was a big thing that I just needed the accountability of truly focusing in on what was happening. Yeah. In in the sermon or in the service itself. And I so and so being in in person I think helps with that um at least for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last month I was home because I had covid mm-hmm. and the pastor's like, "Well, let's all stand and sing." And I'm like, "I'm not standing, <laughs> yeah. you know." And so it's yeah. true it creeps in, you know. You're yeah. just like, "Whatever." Yeah. yeah. This kind of goes along with um the whole singing just um that aspect, that part of our worship together with the body is it's really cool to hear this lady who's in a different stage of life than me, who just lost her husband, um, just singing great is thy faithfulness, um, knowing what she's been through. And I know that that's a huge encouragement to me, um, that I don't get from being at home. Um, even if I do like to sing on my own sometimes, which Mm -hmm. might be good that I sing on my own. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, that accountability, um, just the support, um, from other believers, just being able to step aside with someone and like, what is God teaching you? Um, how can I be praying for you this week or sharing different things I'm struggling with and like how, yeah, just hearing their, their wisdom mm-hmm. as well. So um, true. So what would you, in our last couple of minutes here, give some advice for anyone listening for just digging in, showing up, choosing to be accountable. And then not only that, not only just going as some kind of a consumer, but to really get involved in the life of the church again, what would your recommendations um, be? And I'll just kick it off by saying for straight up attendance, make sure someone knows that you're there or not there. I mean, tell, I have several people from my Bible study who attend my church. And if I'm, if I don't show up, I'm going to hear from them. And so I just know that someone there knows I'm going to be there. I'm going to choose to sit with someone. I'm going to choose to find someone to not be anonymous, mm-hmm. to not ghost people and stuff. So that's my one recommendation just for being known, being seen. Um, I think that's great to have that kind of accountability. But what else would you recommend? I think I'd say, um, yeah, if you found a gospel preaching local church, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say if that's where you want to plug in, you found a church that you want to pour into and be a part of this family with, uh, I would say pr- pursue membership. Mm-hmm. Um, if your church has it has been developed for a period of time, they likely have a form of membership that you can pursue where you can become a member of that body, right? Um, I think of the passage that talks about, you know, the hands and the feet, right? Or the, the eyes and the ears, right? We all have different roles that we can play and build one another up. So um, I think maybe that's the next step from what you were saying, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. first get to know the people there, um, develop a love for them. And then after that, try to serve them and try mm-hmm. to serve that local church and, and build it up and advance the gospel mm-hmm. with uh, those members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say in the same breath, get to know the members of the church. Um, and I think that's been something that's been on my mind since I am digging into a new church and I'm pursuing membership right now as we speak, which is exciting. And so getting to know other 
people from the body other than just the people that I show up with Mm because I have a couple of friends that I work with that we go together to this church Um, but I think it's also important to get to know the other people of the body Um, no matter what age or stage they are in um, just getting to know them and getting to pursue them as as friends and as brothers and sisters in Christ I think is big and that's been really neat that this church um, that's something they encourage at the end of every um, sermon is that they encourage you to pray with someone next to you that you mm-hmm. haven't met before. Mm-hmm. And so every time I'm like, oh, wow, I get to pray with someone new and I get to meet them, which is really unique. And so I think getting to know p- the people that you're you're worshiping with is really important as well. And, and it also is encouraging to one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we're all in a cool stage of life. And I know for me, I love taking advantage of the fact that I'm single. I'm like, I can show up early and help with something. I'm not having to get kids ready or... Yeah, it's just me. I'm like, (laughs) so just getting involved in different ways, whether it's something um, that you know you're you're gifted in or um, even not, um, because you can grow. You can grow in that, too. Um, Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, I just think it's a great opportunity now when we all, all are taking a deep breath to collectively figure out where we can plug in and serve, you know, and, and the whole, you know, I know, Elisa, you've done the nursery and Georgia, you talked about leading a, a girl's small group and stuff. If you're serving, you kind of have to show up. Like my, mm-hmm. my roommate at church is an usher. And when she's on, I mean, she can't just be like, I don't want to usher today. I mean, <laughs> someone's got to be handing out those bulletins, people and getting <laughs> the offering and stuff like that and seating people. So it's just a great way to say, I want to serve. And to Elisa's point, it's not like you find something where you're like, oh, this is just, you know, I'm just killer at this. You know, try out something. It might be something that you're great at. It might be something you don't feel too gifted in. It might be something that you're like, eh, I can maybe do this for three months. But you might find something and find people that you really love. And I think that's a great opportunity. So, well, you guys, these are all good ideas. Thank you so much for weighing in and sharing your own hearts and being encouraged and uh, and where we're going, I think, hopefully as the church. And I think that's a good word for all of us. So thanks so much. Thanks for having Well, hey, everyone. For this week's culture segment, you know, we often feature authors here on The Boundless Show and other newsmakers and and folks, but it's not too often that we get to bring into our fold a bona fide researcher. (laughs) But this week, uh, we definitely are. I have got Stephanie Shackelford. Uh, She is actually um, a researcher. She's an author. She's an adjunct instructor um, with an EDD in organizational leadership from Northeast University and uh, has done a lot of work actually specifically with the Barna Group and the book we're going to be talking about today and the the research that she has done, uh, she has titled You on Purpose, Discover Your Calling and Create the Life You Were Meant to Live. So Stephanie, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Well, this is fun. I mean, now we're going to, we're just going to say that there's someone listening who officially thinks you have the most boring job in the universe. You know, people often (laughs) don't want to say, oh, yeah, let me talk to the researcher. That sounds so exciting. But um, I really appreciate how in the book you make it very practical and very much like, here are the findings. Here's what's going on. And obviously, it's very current. I mean, you address head on the pandemic and the fallout of that. Um, But it really is. This is like who of us has not been, in some sense, languishing to a certain level, whether post-pandemic or just because we've hit a rut in figuring out what our giftings are, where we want to be, where we are now, you know, misdelivered expectations of what we thought, you know, was going to be much more grandiose than it turned out to be. So um, I would love for you to start out by just giving us a little bit about your background and how you started doing the research specifically for this book. 
Sure. Yes. Um, and that, thank you for saying that about the book. That is my goal, though I do enjoy research. I also enjoy being practical. So I will try to um, be both throughout this interview as well. Um, my background is when I was doing my undergrad and even into my master's work, I really thought I wanted to go into nonprofits and specifically maybe donor development or grant writing. I knew I loved to write. I knew I wanted a job that I felt was really purposeful and had a lot of meaning. And yet through um, different internships and shadowing and jobs through the summers of college and then after graduating, I could not land on what niche was right for me. And I was pretty frustrated until I uh, just stumbled upon an executive coaching course as part of my master's work. And that's where it really all clicked. And I discovered this world of coaching. And what does that mean to help people come alive to who they are, who they were created to be? And so this, that's really where my, my own interest and vocation and calling took root. And so from that, I started my own coaching company and have since worked with hundreds of students and recent graduates and working professionals, helping them to live into their purpose. And I continued on to study that as part of my doctorate work and then onward at Barna, which does a lot of uh, research around the topic of vocation and um, generations and just our culture. And so that's how this book, You on Purpose, came to be. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it is such a, a felt need, I think. And I, I think we often talk about it in the context of young adults, because it's like, okay, you finished college, do you even have a usable degree? People are very angsty. But I mean, there's like a lot of people even older than, you know, young adults and stuff who are maybe in a midlife crisis. or they're figuring like, okay, I did this to go after the money, but it's just not fulfilling. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity here. And for for those listening right now, who maybe in their 20s right now, but they're like, yeah, what if I do this for 10, 15 years and then end up um, finding that I want to maybe move off a, on a different trajectory or something? Is that even possible? And so there are some great principles here. Um, well, let's back up because within the book, you kind of outline, you talk about um, how there's a four-point study really that helps people discover their purpose. Can you give us a brief overview of that? Because, you know, again, not that we want to be prescriptive, like do these four things and yes. you will for sure do any, only things that you love the rest of your life. But it definitely <laughs> provides nice. some good guidance. <laughs> yes. Um, we call them the four D's. And just like you said, it is more of a roadmap than a um, formula to follow. Um, but it is what we found through surveying thousands of people and interviewing hundreds of people who are in their calling of what we found the path people took. And so I'll briefly go through the four D's and we can explore any in a greater depth as is interesting. But the first one is to define. And so that is really taking stock of understanding where you are right now. And so oftentimes, you know, I'm, when I coach maybe recent graduates or young professionals, a lot of them are a little disillusioned with where they are in their work. They maybe felt like they were overpromised things by you know, the world or culture about what work should be like, and they're just not seeing that in their own workplace. And so they're feeling very unfulfilled. And so the first part is just getting honest with where you are, define what it is that you are after whole journey. I'll throw out one quick stat just because I was a little bit blown away by it when we came to the research. Um, we asked people, what is your primary aim in life. And so we surveyed thousands of people across the U.S. of all ages, and four out of five adults believe that their ultimate goal in life is to be happy. And so really, as we are going out in our jobs, we're, we're using happiness as our gauge. And as I'm sure we all likely know, even if we don't put it in practice, happiness is so fleeting and it's not fulfilling. Ultimately, it's so circumstantial. But that is really what I see a lot of young people doing is trying to measure uh, whether they're in the right job or career or field or not based on how happy they are. And that's just not a very sustainable measure. And instead, we argue that that should be replaced by aiming for purpose instead of happiness. And so how do you get there? Um, that goes to the second D is discover. And this is you know, what you talked about of all the self-discovery that we know and love, all the different assessments that are oftentimes fun to take and find out about who we are, our, um, our propensities, what are we good at, our passions, 
But one other thing we sometimes don't uh, think about is also discovering what are some pain points in our own story and journey, and how can God use those uh, to then bring purpose and um, Sometimes what we found is that um, some hard parts of people's stories were the very places that God used to bring about a purpose to their work. And so this is often, often one that is overlooked um, when we talk about the discovery phase. And then third is decide. And this is oftentimes when I'm working with clients, they get very tripped up here because we believe this myth that the more choices, the better. And the truth is that too many choices can create this inability to choose. And so, especially with young people and the pandemic, even, you know, able to work from home even more, there's this world of opportunity that there's a million things you could do. And that can be very overwhelming. And how do you decide between all these choices? And so there's this framework we walk through on how to actually make those decisions and, and limit your choices in order to make a good choice. And then the last B is to do. So you can't actually live your calling unless you're taking action on it. It's, uh, that's the key step is to just take steps in that direction and, and to go out and do it. And so that's that last B. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I think, you know, and this is where, especially when I talk with young adults who are recently graduated from college, I don't know why we keep telling young adults that like the whole way to do this is to decide what you want to do and then just go after it. Like it makes it seem like you're entirely responsible for acting upon your dream or acting your goal or Mm -hmm. making it come to fruition. And that's why I like, I want to back up into the define and discover uh, stages again, because um, first of all, Explain to us, I I like how in the book you tell the story of Ralph Winter and how, I mean, two very disparate things that he could have done that he actually thought, you know, here he thought he had a calling, but then he was good at something else. And it's like, you know, it's almost like a weird choose your own adventure, but it's not like a zero sum game where because he chose one thing, it means that he never can, you know, act on anything else that he's good at or something. So I thought that was really helpful. Um, and I want you to just kind of talk to us a little bit about that. Share us a little bit about his his story and how what he learned from that. Yeah, well, that's a principle we talk about. Um, so every chapter we um, have a myth that we present, and then we counter it with the truth. And so, you know, there is this myth that we tend to believe that um, the best thing is to begin with the end in mind, which is a common saying, and you know, certainly there's always some good little bit of truth in even the myths. But we really argue that you should begin with the beginning in mind because you have to start with where, where you are. So like with Ralph Winter, for instance, for those who don't know who he is, he is a successful Hollywood producer, um, X-Men, Star Trek, um, lots of others. And you know, you would think to get to that level of success, you would have to have this end goal in mind, this plan. But he was actually a history major, and then he ended up becoming a Christian and wanting to go to seminary. And he thought this was what his call was, but he was married and he needed a job to pay the rent. And so he just started working at a local department store. And um, his wife, Judy, said, you know, I'll put you through your seminary and I'll go to nursing school, become a nurse. She started work as a nurse. The hospital made her take a pregnancy test, which was apparently legal back then, not now. (laughs) And they found out they're going to have a baby. And so Ralph Winters needed to stay in his job, provide for his family. And, you know, a long story short, he ended up working on doing training videos, which led to other post-production work, working on television shows. And then he got this opportunity to go into Star Trek and, you know, took off from there. So he never actually ended up going to seminary or going on that path. And so if he had only started with trying to get from point A to point B in the straightest line as possible, he would have missed this other journey. Um, Not that we can miss God's will for us, but instead he allowed it to take this windy path. And I think it's so fascinating to see that, um, just like you said, you can't always just say, this is what I've decided, now I'm going to just do it. A lot of other things can come into play. And so I think we can take a lot of comfort in that, um, that you can clearly see how God brought, like for in this story, Ralph Winters into this place 
uh, to recognize um, this other calling that he had for him. And that's, I think, exciting for us, especially for young people as they're starting out, um, that it is this adventure. And that if you are seeking his guidance, that he's going to direct your path. Yeah. Well, you actually, you know, it's funny because it seems to be that so many people are like, oh, you know, being surprised is what you don't want. You don't want surprises. You want to take the bull by the horns and you direct your destiny and all that. But you actually say in the book, being surprised by life is a fundamental component of development, (laughs) Um, which I think is great because that almost leads into that discover of like, what does it look like to be open handed and realize that? You may not have all the answers. You definitely need to include God in the equation because what is he going to say about this? What would you say? How how can a person be both intentional about pursuing dreams and building skills necessary while also holding that open handedness? Yes, I was actually just talking to a group of uh, recent graduates last night about this. And um, I just was brought to mind this interview I had with someone, she was in her 20s, and she, but she really felt like she was living her calling, but she summed it up so well. She said, I feel like my life is very secure, my future is very secure, and it looks like a question mark at the same time. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what this is, is holding this tension of you can be so secure in your identity and um, who God has made you to be and where you are right now. And yet the future can still also have a question mark and it's learning to live in that tension. And so is um, being open to twists and turns life may take. Um, you know, the way I came about to work for Barna and to write this book was really because I decided to go to this conference on kind of on a whim and present my research, which was something I'd never done before. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I went for it. And then it led to these connections and these opportunities that I never could have foreseen. And so sometimes these small yeses, God then uses to to turn a corner in your story. Um, And then, but it's also not falling into the trap that I also see a lot of my clients is that they are just switch their jobs every few months, mainly going back to that happiness question, because, you know, it's not, it's not bringing them the happiness that they thought it's not fulfilling. And so recognizing that there is going to be obviously some struggle always in work. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. And the solution isn't necessarily to just jump at every single opportunity either. You do need a sort of groundedness and rootedness. So it's finding that balance of when to say yes to new opportunities and try things and then when to also stay where God has you and dig in. And it's really learning to hear from the spirit. And a big thing we talk about is being in community that helps you discern that too. Yeah. Well, when you talk in the book about making decisions, so you definitely talk about the curse of having too many choices. And, you know, I think that plays out in so many areas of life where, you know, if we think just career wise, I mean, we've got the gig economy, we've got, like you said, transients, people are able to hop from job to job or look Mm -hmm. for a better opportunity. Um, And you actually, I I love the illustration uh, in that chapter about jams when people were presented with all these options to purchase jam if they had more than six choices just people wouldn't even buy it they're just like nope I'm done so they needed fewer choices but how do we in in our these areas of life that we're talking about Stephanie how do we actually give ourselves constraints because we see them as a bad thing what does it look like to practically enact constraints upon ourselves yeah, this is a principle we talk about. Um, some people call it the green eggs and ham hypothesis because Dr. Seuss had this bet with his editor that he could write a book using only 50 words. And, of course, it came out to be green eggs and ham, which is you know, one of the best-selling books of all for kids. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> these self-imposed constraints can really help us and even lead to further creativity as we make decisions and pursue our purpose and calling. And there are some clues that we can use Uh, One is just who have you been placed around? So who is in your sphere of influence? Um, Who who are you an influence to? Who is God calling you to? And then also where? Where is he called you to? And where is he calling you? And I know for young people, the world seems so open. A lot of them, they could move wherever they wanted. There aren't really these constraints necessarily of where they need to be or tied down to one location. They could work anywhere. And so it does take some, some questions to just, understand um, 
it's just start where you are right now. Physically, where are you? What are you surrounded by? Who surrounds you? What are the needs right around you locally even? And how could you even begin to meet those needs? I, I think sometimes we forget that um, a calling isn't only about the special activities that God has designed for us to do, but it is also um, how are we giving back to the world around us. And so it's this, um, you know, that, that giving back, that service aspect is so important as well. And that oftentimes can be a helpful way to frame our calling. Um, I do have a brief example if we have time. Sure. Um, so I was coaching someone, his name was, um, I talked about him in the book, named Tyrell, and he really had this either or mentality if he really wanted to pursue being a youth pastor um, but he had, did have all these constraints on him that he saw as very confining and frustrating. He, well, the first one wasn't, wasn't so bad. He, he had met this girl he fell in love with, and he wanted to propose. The problem was that he had no money, and so he was living in his parents' basement, and he was trying to, he had relocated to the city to be with this girl, but he couldn't find any youth pastor jobs in the city. And so that all seemed like he was having to choose either the job loved or the job that would make him money. And he was really putting it as this either or. And instead, I was helping him reframe his situation. That didn't have to be an either or. Instead, what was God calling him to learn in this season? What were uh, potentially some gaps that he could work on in being a leader and being a youth pastor that he could develop in other ways? And and so he ended up taking a, a corporate job and it that was able to uh, pay his bills, and he uh, proposed and got married to that girl. They moved out of the parents' basement, mm -hmm. and then. Um, but he has learned. Actually, just followed up with him a month ago, and he just said God has taught him so much that he never would have imagined in this corporate job that he never envisioned taking. And although he still wants to go and pursue ministry in a few years, he sees why God has him there right now to learn some really vital skills about leadership and team working on a team, that sort of thing. And so uh, I think to answer your question about constraints, just looking at your situation and seeing what are the different things God has in your life right now, and instead of looking at those as hindrances, how is God using those to really help you make decisions and shape your story? Yeah, for sure. So in, to that point, um, I kind of want to circle back to the whole idea of COVID and the pandemic and the fact that, you know, many in our audience were furloughed or have had a lot of challenges yeah. of like, oh, my goodness, do I just throw in the towel? Everything I thought I was moving towards is now not even a possibility or maybe it won't be in the future. I don't know. Um, so what would you say, you know, you talk a, a fair amount in the book about the, the value of pain and decision points around pain. Uh, talk to us about that, Stephanie, in light of, say, for example, the pandemic for the person who's like, do you know, because I mean, here we are, uh, of all things, if we're trending towards happiness, and we want to be happy, no one feels like and that's like the holy grail right now, everyone's chasing it, <laughs> no one's getting it. What would be just some good practical steps to move forward with courage um, in the coming months, maybe realizing that, you know, you've got to work with what you've got, and it might not be what you had one or two years ago. Yes. And yeah, I do want to empathize with those people. We've, I've had several friends that um, whose jobs have been sh greatly uh, changed and caused a big shakeup because of this pandemic. And it's not easy. Um, my encouragement would be that um, what we have, what I really found in my research, which was I was surprised about, is how often pain really provided an avenue to see our desires and our gifts more clearly. You know, it's not a fun way <laughs> to. <laughs> have those uncovered, but um, it's not wasted. And I think it can be an opportunity to really reflect and to go back to that defined piece we started about, we started talking about in the beginning. Uh, when you look at God's first question in the Bible, it's to Adam, and he asks Adam, where are you? This is right after they've eaten of the fruit, you know, and it's not obviously, that God doesn't physically know where they are. Uh, I think it really more is a question for Adam to take in, where, you know, where am I physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, kind of take stock. And, and sometimes these painful experiences can be refining when we allow them to look at ourselves more clearly and um, see things about ourselves that we maybe didn't see before. 
Yeah. So I would, um, I guess, encourage people to, to, to use that even in, in the pain. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a good conversation and encouraging in light of the fact, you know, of just reminding people you're not alone. This is like, I mean, the calling, this is why people talk about calling because it's not like you just check off a box or figure out like, oh yeah, I just have to decide. I just have to put my mind to it. And, you know, there are so many components and Stephanie um, recommended and, and referenced community as well as God's will and his acting upon your life, as well as your giftings and talents and your own desires and passions. So taking it all into account is so important. Um, We actually want to make this book, again, the book we've been talking about is You on Purpose, Discover Your Calling and Create the Life You Were Meant to Live. Uh, We want to make this book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So if you go to boundless.org, you can even search for 733. That's this week's episode. Uh, You'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. Any gift that you want to give to Boundless in the new year, We want to send Stephanie's book uh, as a thank you to you. And so uh, we've been talking again to Dr. Stephanie Shackelford. She's a researcher with Barna. She is um, a writer. She's a coach um, and just doing a lot in this space uh, that really is benefiting us all. So Stephanie, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's a bright star, my eyes are set upon And the rest of the night sky Wait for my dawn and my sight anymore My eyes are on you Joy is a tall tree, my sight set upon And the rest of the forest Wait till I'm strong and my sight anymore My eyes are on you I will live my soul folks, we are finishing out the show and we do that by opening up our inbox where we usually get an expert to answer a question that one of you has sent in. And so sometimes it's someone from our counseling department. Sometimes I answer the question. Sometimes we have a pastor who comes and answers it. Well, today we have got our own Dr. Sharon Ford because she is an expert in all... I'm going to say all things that she's immediately going to fight me on this. It's okay, but I'm just going to say it. I'm going to be hyperbole, you know, hyperbolic or whatever. All things, foster care, adoption. I mean, having come out of uh, the state of Colorado working for DHS correctly, Sharon. Okay. Um, So she currently works with our foster care adoption initiatives in our community area here at Focus on the Family. Huge passion for children, our nation's children, and getting them into forever homes. And so, Sharon, welcome. Well, thank you, Lisa, for having me on your program today. So appreciate this opportunity. Awesome. Okay, well, here's our question and I'm going to let you take a stab at it. Um, Our listener says, I'm a single woman who's considering fostering or adopting a child. Is there a biblical basis for or a caution against fostering or adoption as a single parent? Great question. Mm -hmm. Love that this young woman is is opening her heart to the things that are important to God, children. Honestly, Lisa, there is not a scripture in the Bible that says, oh, you must be married to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent. Mm -hmm. So that's the bottom line to that question. Mm -hmm. What I would, however, say to anyone who believes that God has called them to be a foster or an adoptive parent, it takes a village. Where are your support systems? A couple, a husband and wife, they have each other, okay? And then they have their extended family. And then they have their network. So that how does a single person build that village for themselves while they're fostering or adopting? It's so critical. You've got to have somebody to talk to. You have to have someone who can spare you, you know, when you have another situation for work or whatever that you need to take care of. You want to have that network of people who are there for you, to love you, nurture you, uphold you, to um, be there not only for you, but for the children or child in your home. And so go get that network, go build them. There are going to be all kinds of people who can be there, gosh, in the middle of the night, 
who can be there over the weekend, the people who can cook, the people who might come in and help you clean, the people who might just sit with you and listen to you without judgment, Hmm. a person who would go along with you if you needed to go maybe to a, a medical appointment on behalf of your young person or could be your advocate in the classroom Um, Because when you're dealing with that situation in the school, sometimes your emotions are kind of hot and fired. And so that other person would be there to just be there to support you. Mm. And so build that network, that small village or larger village of people who would be be there for you. The other thing I'd want to say is here's a couple of things that the Bible does say. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if God has called you to this work, he will strengthen you in the work. And the second scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And this is out of the English Standard Version. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Hmm. So as a single person, you're loving God. You want to follow after whatever he's called you to know that he's there with you and then do that. Do go get that, those folks who will love on you and support you throughout the process. Yeah, that's so great. And it just reminds me, I had a a friend who her son is now grown, but she really had a couple of the men in her church who kind of took her son under their wing and really became like, you know, the the guy who brought her son to Little League and the guy Mm -hmm. who kind of mentored him through, through life and through friendships and stuff. And so it's a great encouragement for the rest of us who maybe aren't going to foster or adopt to be like, what is your role going to be in that? Think of that and look around for the single parents, foster, adoptive, whatever, um, in your sphere that you can encourage uh, as well in that direction. So I think that's uh, really great. And I was going to say too, just as an aside, um, also, it doesn't mean, you know, I have several friends too, who actually chose to adopt and then later on, they, they did get married, mm-hmm. you know, but they made that decision first to just say, I want to do this, but um, but also to not do it. You know, again, it's it's like, look at your heart, and I would never encourage anyone to do it in a spirit of like, yeah, okay, well, I'm doing this because I want a kid to complete me, but I don't need men or I don't need... <laughs> I mean, again, there are a lot of ways that Satan is going to try to trick you into being self-sufficient or mm-hmm. whatever. So what Sharon's saying is so great because, again, we need to be, first of all, dependent upon the Lord and secondly, look to our community to say, you know, wow, I can't know it all. I can't do it all, be it all. So will you stand with me? So, you know, Lisa, I so appreciate that. The last thing that I would say is this. There are some children who have struggled, who have been impacted by trauma in ways that we don't even want to think about. That single parent household might be the place for them Hmm. where they will be able to not only begin to um, have success, but that they will come to a place of thriving Hmm. in the Lord. Hmm. And so we don't want to cheat any child out of an opportunity to be a part of a loving home that God has set apart for them. Fantastic. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. Again, we always want to hear from you. If you write to us at editor at boundless.org, maybe we can answer a question that you have on a future show. And of course, you can always go to boundless.org and search under any topic for stuff that we've addressed in the past. So uh, as I said before, we always appreciate when our experts come in and are willing to share their wisdom and their advice for us, uh, them being a little more experienced and maybe a few steps ahead in life and so we can benefit from that all right folks well i will see you around next week this is lisa anderson for the boundless show the boundless show is a production of boundless.org focus on the family